I teach my kids to question, okay, can I go find this in nature? If you can't stumble upon it in nature, it shouldn't be in your body, on your body, you shouldn't be eating it. That's our litmus test. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Welcome back to another episode of Get Clear with Crystal Ware. Today on the show, we are going to have a wonderful guest. Lauren Freeman Roth is a former news anchor, the mother of five wonderful kids, and she is now a health coach and health advocate. Lauren grew up like many of us in the 80s and 90s on what we called the SAD diet, the standard American diet and ended up with ulcers and prediabetes that led her to overhaul her entire lifestyle. And that led her to become a health coach and health advocate. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about you know working as a mom, especially as a mom to five. And we're just so thankful to have you here today, Lauren. Thank you, Crystal, for having me. I'm excited to get to talk to you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your background you know, it's very interesting to people and how you get to be an on-air personality and what it was like um, working your way through the different stages of that channel. Yeah, I spent 25 years in television news. I started working in TV when I was 19 years old, so in college when I was at Baylor. And it was something, honestly, Crystal, I just really always knew that I wanted to do pretty much my whole life. I had been in theater and I had been in lots of other sort of performance-based little um, hobbies and it was just sort of a natural progression for me. And I loved it. I loved every minute that I spent there. It became more challenging over the years with children, especially five of them. (laughs) So I was blessed to be able to work part-time in the industry for Gosh, I guess about the last nine years before I left. But I I started television news when I was in college, and I worked as a tape editor then, back when everything was on tape. Of course, it's no longer on tape, but it was then. And then I started reporting, and then I moved on to anchoring, and I worked in wonderful markets throughout the United States, from Waco to Minneapolis, Minnesota, to Jacksonville, Florida, and then back to Houston. And although Houston is not my home, it's about as close as I'm going to get, or, or that I was going to get to home, which is Childress, Texas, and still be in television news and be in a big market. So I just kind of considered that as my home spot. Wow. So when you were still working with all those babies, you know, talk to us about what that looked like from support. Um, because I have found, I have three kids, um, and I know your husband is a plastic surgeon. My husband's a baseball agent. Those are very, you know, busy, time demanding, you know, client centric jobs. How did you have the support around you to continue working and focusing on, you know, something that was really fulfilling for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. It wasn't, and, and you know this too, and all working moms know this. I mean, it wasn't always easy and it was a lot of juggling and coordination and tag you're it. <laughs> but 
we were able to have an at-home nanny that really kind of helped bridge the gaps from when mom was home to when dad was home to when everybody was home. And we couldn't have done it without that. As far as driving kids to school or to hobbies or things like that, that, that kind of helped. And again, eventually over the years, I was able to work part-time, very part-time in television news, which is very rare. So I was fortunate to get to do that for a while. But if I was having to work full-time and wasn't able to have a nanny and things like that, I don't, I don't know how I would have done it. And my husband was always very supportive. I mean, as far as anything I needed. Um, but yeah, you know, when they're working all the time, they're not able to go pick kids up and stuff like that. And, you know, he's very much the breadwinner in our family. And so um, his career was important. <laughs> so it, it was a lot of times that Annie and I just kind of running back and forth and whoever could be there to pick, pick up little boys. We have all boys, five boys. So, wow. Yeah. I have three and I was certain if I had another one, it was going to be another boy. <laughs> it's just totally hectic. You just have to know and plan that the activities are going to be crazy and it's going to be a lot of driving and a lot of practices and it just, it is what it is. So in there, how did you you know, negotiate for yourself to get that part-time. I, I know you mentioned that it's very, very difficult to end up with a part-time role in television. So how were you able to do that? You know, I have to say, honestly, it sort of just fell in my lap. I, after my third baby, um, one of the other anchors and I at the station had kind of switched schedules for a while. And I was, after I came back from maternity leave, and so I was doing the afternoon shows. She was doing the morning show for me at the time because before I had my third baby, I did the morning show. And those hours weren't exactly easy either. But, and the boss, one of our uh, bosses, one of our news directors was like, hey, would you be interested in staying on this shift? I'll let you work part-time. And I think before the words were even out of her mouth, I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I will. Absolutely, I'm in. And I remember my husband going, don't you want to think about this? And I said, no, I, I would love to work part-time. I don't want to go back to doing the morning show. I'm absolutely happy doing this. And I remember my husband going, well, it's not as high a profile a show as the morning show. And I'm like, I don't care at this point. I want sleep. I want to see my children more. I want a more normal lifestyle because when you're waking up at two 30 in the morning, that's just not an easy lifestyle. And I did it for, oh gosh, seven or eight years here. I had done it previously in Waco in my career. So all total, I did it about, gosh, probably about 10 years, maybe a little longer. And so when I had the option to get off that and go part-time, I was in, it didn't matter what. <laughs> yes. Was my answer. Well, and let's talk about that a little bit for, for women that, you know, have these idealized images of what, you know, sexy jobs are like, you know, because that's what often people think about when you think about certain categories and types of jobs, you know, people don't think about the 2am wake up or the last minute, you know, calls for the weekend. Um, what was it really like clawing your way up to getting a primetime, you know, slot on a major news network? You know, I can't say it was all of, a lot of clawing my way up. It was a lot of hours at the workplace. And I don't just mean necessarily when I was working here in Houston, but I mean, when I worked in Minneapolis or especially when I worked in Jacksonville, Florida, there were just a lot of hours that I spent just a lot of reps at news and and sticking with it. And no matter how hard it got, I stayed, I stuck it out. Of course, there's always days in any profession you want to run for the hills, right? But 
that ability to stick around, stay there, keep working hard, you know, mistakes are made, things happen, and you just keep going through them all is really what I credit with my ability to stay and to last in that business for as long as I did. I also have to say, I think in any profession, when you legitimately love it and enjoy it, not saying there aren't going to be rocky times, but overall you have that dedication to the craft and that love. There's just something in the universe that tends to sync things up for you. And I benefited from that immensely. From time to time, I would go, I don't even know how I got that job. It fell in my lap. This opportunity fell in my lap. I mean, there was a lot of serendipity in my career. And I, I do credit that with my genuine affection and enjoyment for that job at the time. I'm not saying I want to go back. (laughs) I certainly don't. Um, But at the time, I did have a genuine affection and appreciation and dedication to the profession and the craft. Yeah. And I I really have to echo your sentiment there that I often tell people we have to focus. um, I know you're Christian. I'm Christian. I focus very much on where does God want me? Where am I being led? And listen to the universe because there are going to be frictional points in everything that we want to do. Life is not necessarily going to be some simple, simple journey along the way. But I think when you're on the the, the right path, which you indicated that the world kind of comes around you and things just seem to start aligning. And if you're seeing consistent, hard friction, it may be a sign to you to think, is this the right path? Is this somewhere I need to pivot and think about where else? Um, you know, I might be serving. Um, so I love that you said that. And I think you have to evaluate mindset along the way too. Do you have, do you have the right spirit going into things? Are you, you know, genuinely attached to this for the right reasons and, you know, evaluating your participation in the career and in the journey as well? Absolutely. So one of the other things before we shift gears to health, which, um, I can just talk about forever, Um, one of the other things we like to talk about a lot, and I talk to women about pretty frequently is about having to advocate for yourself and your salary and how do you get what you deserve? So is there anything that you can share with us along the way where you negotiated a job, where you asked for something outside the standard in income or anything along those lines? You know, I think that is not an easy path for a lot of people and a lot of women. And I'm going to be honest, that was never my strong suit. (laughs) That was not something that I found. I found that difficult, honestly. And I think we always have that little echo in the back of our head a lot of times going like, no, you don't deserve money, more money. You know, this is fine. This is enough. Or you should be thankful for what they're offering you. And, you know, I think it takes some maturity, some clarity, some prayer time to really be able to step back and evaluate and go go forward with a sense of purpose and ask for more or ask for more vacation or something slightly different or out of the ordinary. Again, I can't say that I mastered any of this (laughs) ever, but I do think that that is something that, that does come with some maturity. And a lot of times in my first career, I was, you know, 26 years old trying to negotiate my own contract with someone who had negotiated hundreds of contracts and was 55. Like 
it wasn't an even fight there. And I don't know that I always came out with a great salary or anything great or out of the ordinary, but I was able to kind of maintain and carry through. But I I think that at the end of the day, just being able to sort of self-reflect, be mindful, prayerful as you head into something like that and being confident, I think helps. And I probably should take a page out of out of my own advice there. (laughs) moving forward. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's why it's so important just to have the conversation with people because one, when people see somebody else as successful and confident as you who are admitting that there was some struggle around that topic as well, I think that gives people some comfort that they're not alone, that they're not the only ones. And then finding, you know, tools or resources or ways to align and, have those difficult conversations with yourself and then put yourself on the track to really get something that you deserve and want. Because I think a lot of women, uh, it doesn't sound like this was you, but it, it, I know a lot of women silently just accept because they don't know how to ask for more or advocate for themselves. And then it kind of has a rippling effect for their overall happiness and joy with their job, because that's always something in the back of their, their minds, um, making them feel less than because they're not getting paid what they think they deserve. Um, so that's why I always just like to talk about it. I counsel a lot of girls and women on that. Um, and so it's always interesting, um, to share a little bit about that. I just want to pause and say thank you to all the amazing people tuning in and making this show a success. And to share some exciting scoop, I am opening up for the first time ever one-on-one coaching. We have two options available, the Executive Edge two-week program and the Career Catalyst six-week program, which will use my proprietary Earn It framework. If you're ready to propel your professional journey, crush your salary goals, or need someone to coach you through a big career decision, let's conquer it together. Limited spots for unlimited empowerment. Links to sign up will be in the show notes and in the link tree on my Instagram and LinkedIn site. See you there. So tell us about the health issues that kind of were the catalyst for your second act. Yeah. I mean, if you had told me in my early twenties that I was ever going to be talking about health and wellness, I would have called you crazy because I was a junk food fiend. I mean, I really was. I remember when I started my first job in television news in Waco and I was a tape editor on my evening break every day, I would go get a huge bag of for dinner. This was my dinner. This is appalling. And you're all going to be appalled at this. I would get a diet Dr. Pepper and a not like a regular bag of Skittles, but like a large bag of Skittles. And that was my dinner. Okay. So no wonder I ended up being pre-diabetic and having stomach ulcers, right? I mean, shocker. So I, I certainly didn't come from a background where we like, I mean, we, we just, as you said earlier, we really, I grew up eating the standard American diet. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I loved my sodas. I started having health problems in my late 20s, and I had had stomach ulcers on and off, more probably on than off, from the time I was about 15 until my late 20s, so almost 15 years. And I remember my husband, I was dating my husband at the time, and he's like, this is really bad. All this pain you're having and discomfort's bad. We need to figure this out. And 
kind of in the process of trying to book some doctor's appointments and talk to different physicians and surgeons and what have you, a kind of happenstance, I just Googled foods that can contribute to stomach ulcers. And the first thing that popped up was a PubMed article on artificial sweeteners, sodas, and stomach ulcers. And I like went, oh my gosh, who sits around and has 5,000 diet sodas all day and puts artificial sweeteners in her tea and coffee? Me. So I cut it out immediately. I thought if it's that simple, like I'm in. And it worked. Uh, it wasn't overnight. I would say the first week I was better. The second week I was even better. And like after a month, I was like, okay, I just fixed it. And they never came back. I've, I don't even think about it anymore. It's funny. It was like such a horrible situation for so long. And yet I don't even think about it now because it was so long ago and it's completely gone. Now I don't touch artificial sweeteners at all, but that experience made me realize and made me take a step back and say, oh, wow, food was having that much of an impact on my stomach. What else is it influencing in my life that I don't know or understand? And so I can't say that I like jumped into wellness with two feet at that point in my life, but I was very cognizant of it. Then I started having some issues with my stomach later on that was from wheat. Then I started having blood sugar problems and I had reduced my sugar intake, my processed sugar intake, but I was still eating foods that had sugar in them like yogurt or lattes or coffee sweetener or coffee um, creamers the oatmeals that had all sorts of junk thrown into them, those kind of things. Not knowing I was eating sugar. And so when I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, your blood sugar is a problem. No question. I want you to meet with my nutritionist. And I said, no, no, I know about nutrition. And he said, no, I want you to meet with my nutritionist. And thank God he said that because the nutritionist was like, you're eating carbs and sugar unknowingly all day. You have virtually no protein in your diet this is why you're in here. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> yes, I do not consume any protein to speak of. And yes. So I was able to fix and correct all these things with diet. And after that, I mean, my husband and I really dialed into what we were eating, what we were putting in our bodies, what we were putting on our bodies. You know, I started reading labels on makeup and things that I was putting in my hair and deodorant and antiperspirant and all these things. I mean, it, it radically changed the way we lived for the better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I, I'm of generally the same generation as you. And I think about, you know, my mom was super, super skinny. She was like a six Coke a day girl <laughs> most of the time. Um, but thankfully restricted us. And so I, when I went to college, I mean, we didn't really, you know, we ate Taco Bell and McDonald's all the time. I mean, everybody in my family was super skinny, wasn't an issue. And when I went to college, I just didn't want sodas anymore. And I kind of like naturally moved off of that. And as I got older, I really learned about all the other problems in the, you know, standard American diet. Um, but it's just really shocking to me how there's hidden sugar and everything. And I already talk to my kids about that all the time. They see me reading the label and it's almost always for sugar. Um, but I wanted to go back to one of the things you said about um, artificial sugar. I know that's generally the yellow packet. I mean, not the yellow packet, or is it Splenda? What, you know, what is artificial sugar and what, 
you know, what are the natural sweeteners? So this is one of those things, I think you're going to get a lot of opinions from a lot of different people in sort of the health and wellness community. So there's the aspartames, there's the splendas, the stevias, the sweet and lows. You probably remember all those from, from mm-hmm. years past. Um, and so those all fit into to alternative type sweeteners. The stevia, I think people really accept more as closer to natural now. I don't like the way it tastes personally, and I have seen some studies, and I'm not going to say every single study, but I do know of one specific study that was conducted by an author that I really keep up with, and actually I've had him on my channel and interviewed him. And so he found that even when you ingest the stevia, that your blood sugar does still spike. So your body still thinks it's a sugar of some sort. And so that, that concerns me. We try and steer clear of it. I think probably if someone's like, okay, I have to have a little something sweet. I think probably stevia would be the most generally accepted form of, okay, that's a little less bad. Um, I, I just, we, we try to avoid, avoid it personally. Yeah. So, and going back to when you were working and, you know, full-time, part-time, and now a big family you know, I think that's one of the big struggles that Americans have across the board is we have such busy lives. We're checking our email all the time. We're not connecting with each other. We are running around to all these activities. We don't even have time to go to the grocery store. You know, we're getting grocery store deliveries. Where is there in time to cook and have home-cooked meals? How did you fit that in? And do you have any tips that you can share with the rest of us? Yes. And that I'm not going to say that that's not still a struggle on some days. We, I have two, my, I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old and they help some, I'm not going to say they're in there like chopping, you know, beef for (laughs) stew right now or anything like that, but they do help some. If I say, Hey, can you come up behind me and clean up the scraps as I'm making the stew or something like that? I think the thing that has really made the biggest difference for us is that I, and it doesn't take that much time and energy once you get used to it. I one plan ahead for the week. And so that may mean me sitting down on a Sunday or a Monday, taking literally five minutes. I'm not going to say I spend much more time, but taking five minutes to go, okay, here's some meat for Monday. Okay. We'll have leftovers Tuesday. Okay. I'm making a big pot of stew Wednesday. We can have that and a salad Thursday. Like we are not above leftovers in my house. (laughs) And, you know, I go and buy a big, huge thing of spinach every week. One of those big, huge organic spinach containers. And we will have three or four spinach salads a week. I like spinach. My kids eat it pretty well. I'm not going to say everyone like loves a good spinach salad, but they eat it (laughs) pretty well. And so things like that, where you can sort of make something last and you don't have to think about it, you can go, okay, I'm going to make a different variation tonight with tomatoes, um, almond slivers and pre-cut almond slivers. Of course, I don't have time for all that, but, uh, and (laughs) you know, homemade ranch dressing that I made two days ago or three days ago, or, or some ranch dressing you bought or what have you, but just thinking about it and planning a little bit, doesn't take a whole lot of time, energy and effort, and also being committed to making simple meals. We're not making fancy meals. We're not having any like cordon bleu or anything like that around our house, okay? We are having 
stews, one pot dishes, whether it's a stew, whether it's a, we had a big roast the other night, we did roast, we threw a bunch of vegetables in there. That was gone like that. That was a hit that was popular. So I, I just instinctively think of things that don't take a lot of time, are still healthy, and if need be, I can make a double portion and we can have it for tomorrow night. We start basketball in two weeks, my kids do, that we play a lot of basketball <laughs> during the season. We're like there all the time. And we will be having some leftovers <laughs> during basketball season. Whether it's me making a big thing of pasta and we eat half one night, half the next night kind of thing, or um, soups I think last really well and aren't too difficult to make. So I, I just plan ahead and I think ahead that way and it helps. I'm not gonna say there are times where I'm like, kids get in here and help me right now. But overall, we, we get the meals made, they're healthy, they're good and everybody eats them. Yeah, I, I do um, rotisserie chicken so I can always have chicken that's super easy. We do green smoothies. Um, and I think it's just something that, you know, when, when you think about other cultures, so what do you feed your kids when they're little? That's what they're going to eat. Um, you know, I think that's why you see in Japan, France, other places where kids eat, you know, adult foods is because when they go to school, they're eating the full on adult foods. They don't have other options. And so I started giving my kids raw vegetables and cooked vegetables. So they don't like you know, really salads. Um, they went to a church camp over the summer and they came back thinking this, um, salad was amazing with ranch dressing. <laughs> and I realized they eat lettuce and spinach without anything. They think it's weird for the most part. Um, but I, I'm like, why, you know, if you're getting the vegetables, it's not a big deal, but I agree. It's all about the simple. I mean, I would love to say I had a good repertoire of cooking. I also do um, a crock pot lasagna that's really, really healthy. And I always think it can be done if you want it to be done. If you want to give yourself excuses, you're going to find excuses. And for me, feeding my, and you know, maybe some people feel like I'm guilting them in saying these things, but I just think if we don't have health, we don't have anything. What is life? What is money? What is anything if we don't have health? And I am going to make an effort. My kids give me the excuse. Well, someone is going to Chick-fil-A. Why can't? And, and it's not like we don't have pizza or Chick-fil-A or burgers. Okay. We have, my kids get normal food, normal kid food, but I just tell them, I don't, I don't care about living like everybody else. I don't need to be like everybody else. There are a lot of people in our country that are very, very unhealthy. Um, and I'm just not interested in promoting that or living like that. Um, so it's good to see other people that are promoting that, teaching that to their kids. Cause I just think that is such a cultural shift that we need to see. And on that, I would be interested to have your take. I did not have this as a pre-planned question. I'm just cu curious to get your take. How can we get better food in our school districts? <sighs> you know what? Um, that this has been a big issue for a long time. And I've heard a lot of different sides of this debate and this argument. And, um, you know, I've heard of some areas of some districts trying to bring in, you know, they would grow their locally fresh fruits and vegetables. And because the kids don't eat those at home, they don't want them. And so they end up throwing them away in, in certain parts of certain districts. So it becomes a, a 
a thorny issue in what will kids eat, what's good for them, uh, supply chain situations. You know, I, I don't know. That's a hard one. We can lobby these food giants to do a better job of putting fewer chemicals and hormones and what have you in the meats and the vegetables and all. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it comes down to cost for them. And, you know, I don't know. I think if, if parents are really concerned about it, I think for the short term, make your child's lunch and send it with them every day. I know that's, I get it. That's not what we want to hear. But I, I think it's going to take a lot of people making a really big stink and it affecting manufacturers and food giants bottom line for them to ever take note. And I'm not really sure we're there yet as a country. I think we're making our way there, but I'm not sure we're there yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just so stark because I worked for a French company before. And when we look to France and what they have at their large companies, there's a basically like a requirement. I don't remember how the law structure is, but there's some kind of requirement that if you have so many in employees, you have to have a canteen and a canteen is like what we would equate to like a Luby's. It's, you know, a home cooked meals where there's, you know, a foreign type dish, a pasta, a meat station. Um, and for the most part, that is what they offer at school. Nobody sends their lunches because their children have no prepackaged food. Everything is like the 1930s in America. That is what it's like. You have a lunch lady. They plan the food at the school. It is cooked on site. It is fresh. They will give you a fish. They will give you, you know, tomatoes. They will give you a salad. If you do not eat it, you do not eat. Nobody is sending lunches. So there's none of this bull crap about, oh my gosh, Johnny won't eat this. It is what it is. And then they find the things that they will eat. And I think that is how you really change the cultural food when you don't have these kid-friendly foods. Um, and I look, I know it's hard because my kids, I mean, I will tell you right now, my six-year-old cried last night about homemade tacos and there's a fruit and vegetable at every meal. He didn't want any of it. He went to bed hungry. I pulled that back out for the breakfast. He threw a fit, but decided to eat the meat, left the fruit and vegetable. And when he gets off the bus in a minute, he will be eating that or he will not get another snack. It's hard. It makes me work harder. It would be much easier for me to bust out the chips and chicken nuggets. But what will that teach them? And so I, I agree with you. It's a very hard struggle. I think about it a lot and I'm like, maybe that's going to be my third act is <laughs> lobbying for our children's safety and health. Um, but I, I think we have to take the hard road. Well, it's, you know, I, I think parents really are in the driver's seat here. And, you know, you, you have to control or do the best you can to control what your children put in their mouth when they're with you. Now I get, it. I have a 14 year old, he's out and about with friends or they're on bikes or they're whatever. Um, do I think that he is making like great health decisions when it comes to what he's putting in his mouth when I'm not around? No, I don't. But I do know that he understands the foundation of nutrition. He understands common sense aspects of nutrition. I teach my kids to question, okay, 
can I go find this in nature? I can find a watermelon in nature, okay? In fact, in my hometown, they grow some watermelons, not a lot, but there's some along the river there. Um, you can study or you can stumble upon beef. You can stumble upon honey. You can. Those things are safe to put in your body. If you can't stumble upon it in nature, it shouldn't be in your body, on your body. You shouldn't be eating it. That's our litmus test because I encourage my children to approach the world, not just nutrition, the world from a historical perspective, okay? Because propaganda is alive and well, was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That is the world we live in. So when you're starting to question, where do I get information? Who do I trust? A, the Bible, that's what I teach my kids, and B, you're going to use common sense to decide, does that make sense? Okay, because keep in mind, we've had dramatic lobbying efforts for many years from fast food companies, from these big food giants. So there have been times in the last, let's say, 40 years, I'm, I'm in my 40s, so let's say 40 years, where nutritional experts have lobbied for processed foods. They have said, yes, go eat. Um, cookies, as long as they don't have fat in them, you can have them. Remember, remember the no fat phase, yeah. right? Yes. You can go eat a bunch of sugar and cookies. Cookies are fine as long as they don't have fat. Well, we came to find out oh, that wasn't exactly right. So I remember my grandmother years ago saying, my doctor told me, do not eat any avocados ever for the rest of your life. And she said, I think that's ridiculous. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to do it. Now, she lived to be 89, was in great shape until the very end. So we'll keep that in mind. But use common sense. So someone's telling you don't eat a vegetable that nature created, but go eat a bag of cookies that's healthier. Like at some point, you just have to use your own common sense. And, and you're, you're also going to get conflicting views along the way. You know, my kids, one of my kids had a cavity. And so we had one dentist say, do not ever have gummy vitamins ever again. Gummy vitamins are very bad. Okay. So when we went to a pediatric dentist to get it filled and she said, gummy vitamins are great. Only gummy vitamins. Do not have the other ones. Only gummies. I'm like, okay. So what's, what do I do then? I have to use my common sense to go, hmm. For me personally, when I have a gummy vitamin, it does feel like it's sticking to my teeth. So I think I'm gonna we're gonna go away from the gummy vitamins just based on how my experience. You see what I'm saying? So that's Absolutely. what we teach our kids. Like, let's use common sense. What did God provide us in nature to consume and put in our bodies versus what man is making and calling food today? Yeah, and that and it's so it's so incredible that you say that because that's that's how I differentiate it for my kids um, who are six, eight, and 10 is did God make it? We can have fun foods, um, but we need to focus on what God has made, what is in a natural state. Um, and if we lean towards that 80% of the time, we should be okay. I mean, it'd be great if we could just do away with a lot of the other things, but you know, we have to be realistic and practical. Um, so tell me what you're doing now, where people can find you, and what's next for you? So I'm currently making videos, sort of educational type videos, be it with my experience with health and wellness. I'm interviewing lots of experts. I'm on all the social media places right now. So primarily on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A lot of my longer format interviews are on YouTube. You can find those there. But 
I'm also just sort of in the process of creating sort of a community, a way to share what's working for other people. Because I think there's value in us communicating and talking about this and saying, hey, I went gluten-free and I noticed that I'm in a better mood all the time. Just FYI, here's my experience. Maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't. But I think there is immense value in sort of learning from other people, learning from experts. I'm not saying I, I have experts and authors and PhDs and MDs on all the time, but really sort of sharing what's working for different people all over our country. Actually, I have some quite a few people from Canada that I kind of bring in. So let's say North America <laughs> at this point and figuring out what's working and sharing that information. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we will share your social media links, your website, everything else in the show notes. Definitely go connect with Lauren. She has such amazing and fun and light also videos and content that is just great. Um, And I know that you are working on some excellent projects for the future that we can't wait to hear about. And the most important thing is to anchor your family and health. I love that. I love your transition from anchoring to anchoring your family and health. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey, what you have going on, and some of the tenets of health that you live by. Everybody else, remember to keep getting clear. Get clear on your goals. Get clear on where you want life to head. And remember that that's a 360-degree journey. We talk a lot about career and money, financials, but that also includes your health as well. If you don't have health, you're not going to have true wealth. And without those, you're not going to have the happiness that you're seeking. So keep getting clear. And until next time, we will see you later. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to create a career you love, get the salary you deserve and build the confidence to live life on your own terms, sign up for my free newsletter where you'll get actionable tips to raise your worth, build your wealth, create freedom and create a life you absolutely love. Head over to crystalwaremedia.com to sign up or click the link in the show notes and join thousands of others making their dreams a reality. Whether you're just embarking on the journey or well on your way, the Worthful newsletter has something for you. See you next week.